You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Hunter Profile Edition. My name is Dan Johnson, a.k.a. Dallas-Fort Worth. It's about 10.30 on a Wednesday night. I just finished editing this podcast, and I am eating, in one hand, I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and on the other hand, I have a glass of Johnny Walker Black. And for some reason, those two particular, that drink-food combination goes pretty good together, so give it a try. Now, the the Hunter Profile podcast that you're about to to listen to is what I feel is the epitome of bow hunting. It's not a big deer, it's not a mature deer, but it's someone who is new to archery, who did what they were supposed to do at the beginning of the season. They practiced shooting. They they did their research on wind direction and how to access ground. And long story short, they got it done on their very first their very first uh, buck with a bow. It's not the biggest buck in the world. It's not the most mature buck in the world. But this buck means something very, very special to uh, the person I interviewed. Uh, his name is Justin Walsh. He lives in Wisconsin. And uh, here's the interview. All right. On the phone with me now is Justin Walsh. How's it going today, Justin? Great, Dan. Thanks. So today we are here on another Hunter Profile podcast, and we're going to talk about the deer that you shot this year. But before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? How old are you? What do you do for a living? So I live in southeastern Wisconsin um, in a town called Sheboygan. Uh, it's about an hour south of Green Bay, and um, 26 years old. Uh, for a living, I, I work for a company that makes coffee filters, and we sell coffee filters and um, baby wipes and stuff like that. Um, so I travel a fair amount uh, with that. Um, I'm not married yet, but I, I do have a fiance, so we're set to get married next September. And 
no kids, uh, just two dogs. Um, and I'm fine with that for right now. So. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. You have kids, but your bow hunting time goes down. Yeah, I, I've gathered that from the podcast. That I've to do, so I'm trying to minimize that or push that off into the future as much as possible. So, as we were talking a little bit about before we started recording, you're not new to hunting, but new to bow hunting. Elaborate on that a little bit. So growing up, I grew up on a farm and, you know, what we did, my dad and I, what we did for fun is we, we were outside a lot and we hunted basically anything you could hunt. So like ducks, geese, rabbit, turkey, you know, and as far as whitetails, pretty much just um, gun deer season um, each and every year. So like all my life, I, I've always been hunting, but didn't really get into bull hunting until about two years ago after I graduated college. So I got done with college, you know, and started working and I, you know, sitting in a cubicle all day. It's just like, wow, I really didn't realize how much I really enjoyed being outside hunting. So, you know, I, I started, I actually just somehow stumbled across the Laird to Hunt podcast and, you know, just full force dove into it and started trying to learn as much as I could about, I didn't even own a bull at this point. So like I, I had I used my dad's old one for probably the, the first entire season, which didn't fit me at all. You know, I had, I knew nothing about like draw length or draw weight or anything like that. So I, I I really was starting from like square square one like two years ago, and ever since then there's been a lot of mistakes that have happened, but a lot of learning also. And you know, I I really spend a majority of my time either doing stuff related to bow hunting now or thinking about bow hunting. Hey, you're in a good spot man i tell you brand new into it you know would would you say that this year was your first serious year getting after it yeah so so last year was like my first season like kind of like figuring everything out you know and there's all that stuff that goes along with it like like equipment and making it fit and like becoming comfortable with like a bow and you know last year's season came to an end and immediately, like, when, when that season is over, you just start making this mental list of stuff that you want to do differently or that you want to improve on or that you want to start trying for next season. So, like, literally from that point all the way through the summer until this summer started or this season came to happen, I all I thought about was what am I going to do to improve or, or get better or, you know, make it happen when I'm out in the woods. So, I, yeah, that that's pretty much where I was at as far as um, my experience level. This is the first year that I, I actually look back on it and like there's some stuff that I'm really happy that I did and I think worked out well, but then other stuff too that, you know, at the end of every season, you're like, I, I could have done that better or I could have done this better. So there's still room for improvement, but this I would say would be my first season where I could maybe pass off as, a, as somewhat of a hardcore bull hunter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as you know, I, as you and as you know, as I do the podcast with Mark every week, and as you've listened to him, one thing that we always try to preach is that uh, uh, you're going to make mistakes, and it's how you learn from them that uh, that makes you a better bow hunter. So, so now let's let's get into let's get into this this season. All right, let's but let's not go. Let's see when does Wisconsin's start? Like uh, the fifteenth, right of of September. Yeah, generally that second Saturday in September is opening weekend. 
Okay, so so let's not start there. What were you doing this this summer, right before the season? Were you doing anything to get ready for the season? Yeah, so generally, I, I got into a pretty good routine um, during the summer. So after work got done, I made it a point to so like in the off season, you know, I I changed up like a lot of the gear that I had as far as my bow and like arrows and broadheads and stuff that I was shooting. So once I the summer started, I had a lot of that stuff squared away, but I hadn't had a lot of time to shoot it. So during the summer, I tried to make it a point to at least shoot my bow once a day after work at some like whether it's five arrows or 25 arrows. Um, that was something that I really put a lot of time and effort into. And then um, also just periodically checking trail cameras and doing a lot of um, just like driving around like in July or August and seeing what's out in the fields and making note of it, keeping like detailed notes about like what you can, what you do see when you're out there. Yeah. Cause like what I realized is that, you know, it may not seem like it, but like if you just mentally register that something's out there, I'm going to, I'm going to forget about it personally. That's what's going to happen. And yeah. I, I tried to make myself get in the habit of taking notes down of, of um, stuff that was going on or stuff that I was seeing. So basically my summer, you could sum it up as practicing with the bow, um, checking trail, trail cameras and, and driving around to see what I could see late at, or like right before dusk, basically. Now this, uh, you said you were running trail cameras. Was the buck that you ended up shooting, did you get him on trail camera before the season started? I did. So I had him on two separate trail cameras that are they're probably about, probably a mile and a half to two miles apart. Oh. So... Yeah, I, I got him on trail camera a, a few times before I actually shot him. Okay. So. Good. Now, did this buck? This buck, obviously, you shot him, so it got you excited. Um, now that you you saw what was out there, did that even get you more pumped up for the season? Oh yeah. So like the, like looking back on it and thinking about it, the thing that I think is is most enjoyable. And like I can relate to it with, with like your opinion, like I just I love checking freaking trail cameras. You know, like <laughs> I, I I could do that. It's like, addicting. If there's a full time job where I could just drive around and check check trail cameras, like from the second I get that card <laughs> in my pocket, I cannot without just like burning a hole in it. You know, I just want to see what's on it. And yeah, it's, like it's even better too. Like when you can put all the pieces together and you see like whether it's a doe or a buck like and you see him on trail camera uh and then you see it in real life like when you're out there in the stand and you end up like taking the animal i mean that's it's hard to describe that to someone that isn't into bull hunting i think right so right well man that's awesome i i how so how many total trail cameras were you running just two. over just yeah, two just, i just had okay. just two trail cameras and so what I would do, like, in the early summer, like, I don't have a ton of, like, big chunks of property to hunt on. So, like, my I have a, my the farm that I grew up on is, like, fairly decent in size, but um, in terms of, like, deer habitat, it's, there's not that much acreage there that could that's going to hold deer or draw deer to that property. So, like, the chunks of land that I hunt on, are they're not very big. So early on in the spring and summer, I would just kind of rotate those cameras around in like a sequence, like every two or three weeks I'd switch them. And just from doing that, I kind of took like an inventory of what's on each property. And then once I kind of honed in on like these two separate properties that had, I thought the most potential, then I just kind of, I 
said, all right, I'm just going to focus efforts on these then and just left those two trail cameras there. So that way I wasn't going in and, and bumping stuff out or disturbing it more than I had to. Gotcha. So, gotcha. So, so now it comes time to, you know, it, you, you know, the deer there, were there any other bucks that you got on trail camera that were potential shooters for you? Yeah. So there was a, the buck that I was actually targeting, um, he ended up getting shot the week beforehand. So I, there, there aren't, there weren't a lot of big bucks on the property. There was the buck that I harvested, and then there was one that uh, was probably comparable in size, and then there was probably a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer, which is a, a fairly decent-sized deer for the area that I hunt in. And that was the buck that I really, really wanted to get a chance at, but the neighbor ended up shooting it the week beforehand. So it was kind of discouraging, but still, like, I knew, like, he's a bull hunter, and he appreciates that kind of stuff also. So it was yeah. nice to see him, you know, get the deer, because we had been trading – pictures back and forth um the entire summer like he'd send me some when he was on his property and i'd send him the few shots that i had of the buck on my property but yeah that was the original one that i was targeting but that that didn't work out unfortunately hey that's uh that's bow hunting for you you know um all right so you got him on trail camera you Tell me about a little bit about your scouting methods. Uh, what were you doing before the season? Did you, did you, because this is a family farm, did you know the ins and outs of these timber lots? Or were you doing some preseason scouting to, to know where you were going to hang your tree stands? Yeah, so this is, um, the farms that I was, the farm that I was hunting on, I was somewhat familiar with it, but not like a, an intimate understanding, I guess, of like how, deer interact with the property so like i had done some scouting on it the year prior and um the year prior there's actually soybeans planted around the chunk of timber that i was hunting so like when i walked through it and just from observing the, the previous season there wasn't just a, there wasn't a ton of sign in there and i didn't really focus that heavily on it because i didn't have i didn't really have any deer on camera and there wasn't a lot of like rubs scrapes or beds or anything that i could see that showed that there was activity there so when this season rolled around, and to keep in mind last season there were soybeans, this year there was corn. So I think the corn actually had a huge influence on, on the amount of deer traffic that was walking through that area. So I actually, like probably, I shot him like mid-October, and probably towards the end of September, I walked in there and placed a trail camera just to see what, what I could get on um, camera during that time period, you know, because I hadn't had anything in there for a couple of weeks yet. And I thought, well, you know, you never know. So I, I walked in and on my way in there and on the way out, I saw so many scrapes and rubs just on the trail um, system that was inside the woods. And from that point, like the first thing that goes through my mind is, all right, I, I got to get this camera in here and I want to get out because I don't want to bump anything off the property. Right. And um, yeah, so I, I basically, that was the last time I was in there then before I um, went to, or the, the night that I shot him. So there was the, the next thing that I, I kind of look at, um, I look, I, I know like kind of generally where I want to be on the property and where I thought they were betting, but I didn't really know for sure. So the, the main thing that I focused on, I guess, was making sure that the wind was correct and that the weather, I guess, was setting up in my favor or the, the, the most amount of, details related to like weather or moon or, or wind or anything like that were stacked in my favor. So I'm fairly 
anal when it comes to like looking at like maps and like weather and stuff like that. So um, I waited until I thought the weather was perfect and the wind was perfect. And that's when I decided to kind of make my move and go in there and actually take a chance and see, see what would happen. So, now, if you're following along on like iTunes right now or Stitcher or anything that's not on the actual website, go to yeah. go to the website right now and and look at the picture that uh, Justin gave me and it's a little map of the area of where he's of where his uh, stand and the bedding area is. So that entire little block of timber where you had your stand in was the corn out by then or was it still in? that when you went no, in the corn, the corn was still up okay like, so that entire block of timber was surrounded by standing corn like an island so that's probably like a, yeah like yeah, like high high corn so it's like probably 50 acre cornfield give or take the, des- and, describe what that little block of timber is so it's it's just you know it's it's your typical like midwest wisconsin hardwoods i guess is, is the best way to describe it there's pretty thick undergrowth and if you look on like that east side where I kind of have the the, the bedding area um, marked in yellow, it's a little bit thicker over there, and than it is on on the west or not. The, I should say I've got my east and west mixed up. So the yellow part of the map is the bedding area, and that's a a little bit more thick on that side of the woods than it is on the other side. Gotcha. So I I thought that they'd be probably bedding in that area rather than any other area. Um, and just from like the way that the woods is set up and the access route that I thought was going to be least intrusive, I guess, um, that's where I thought I'd, I had the best chance of kind of seeing some deer traffic within range. Gotcha. So, so all right. So it you went in and you placed uh, roughly what date did you uh, go in there to set the trail camera up? It was the last week of August. Last week so of August. I, and then you – yeah. Well, yeah, last week of August. And then when did you go in to check it for the first time and to find out that, you know, you had some activity on this trail camera? Last week of September. Last week of September. When, okay. Yeah, so I had it in there for a good month because I just, I, you know, mentally you think to yourself, and, and I think this is something that like a lot of people maybe get in the rut of doing. Because I hadn't seen a lot of stuff there historically, I had just kind of like mentally written that location off as something that someplace that I'm not going to see a lot of deer traffic or a lot of deer sign. So, you know, I wasn't really focusing on it at all. So when I went back in there to check the trail camera and I saw that there was, you know, all of this, these scrapes on the way in and I'm like, well, okay, like let's get to the card and get out of there then. And yeah, that, that was the, so when I grabbed that card then and got out of there, I, I, I didn't go back in until um, the time that I shot him. So. Cool. So in, in relationship to, where you have your stand marked on this map, where was your, where was your trail camera? Trail camera was probably about 75 to a hundred yards uh, northeast of my stand. So almost directly in the middle of the, of the woods. Gotcha. So there's a little, tra- uh, there's a little trail like right next to my, if you look, the red dot is my stand. Um, just to the right of that, there's kind of like an access trail that snakes through the woods a little bit. And um, I just set it right, like, right basically in the middle of the first big clearing that I saw. Like, there's, like, numerous scrapes around in this clearing, so I figured that was a good place to, to drop it. Gotcha. So I, I, that's where I picked the put. Okay. The All right. So uh, you went in there the last week of August. You checked it. 
it is, it's time to hunt. Did you, I, you know, as a first time bow hunter, I take it you were pretty excited to get in there to try to, to get after this deer. Did you, yeah. hold, did you hold off at all? Um, because maybe the, the conditions weren't the way you wanted it to, were you nervous about the corn coming out before, uh, and ruining that spot or. Yeah, both actually. So I was, I was nervous for a lot of stuff. I was nervous that the corn was going to come off before I could get in there. I was nervous that I would, you know, you just constantly rolling the dice when you're, when you're bowl hunting. I was nervous. I was just going to pick the wrong day and, you know, stuff didn't work out to my favor. Um, I was nervous. I was, there, like if, if there was the chance that I would have to like take this buck that before I had the chance to do it, it would get taken by one of the neighbors yep. that are over in that area. So I, I did my best to hold out as, as long as I could. And the day that I actually shot the buck, I, I was planning on hunting a different area, but I figured, you know, after second guessing myself a whole bunch of times when I was sitting there ready to leave work, you know, I'm looking at the weather thinking to myself, is it the best decision to make? And I finally changed my mind at the last second and said, hey, I'm going to go hunt this spot rather than the spot that I originally intended on hunting. So so I'm looking at this, um, I'm looking at this, uh, this map that you, that you, that you have here for us. And mm -hmm. what date did you actually go in and kill the deer? Uh, I believe it was October 17th. Okay. Okay. October seventeenth. Uh, describe to us the the weather conditions. So the weather conditions that day, um, leading up to that day, it was pretty warm. Uh, I would say like unnaturally warm for that time of year in Wisconsin. And uh, so I, you know, I, I had my eye on the weather for like the previous ten days, and I knew that this front was coming through, and that it was going to drop like a good ten to twenty degrees the next day. So that day. I think it was 50 degrees with a, a northwest wind, like 8 to 10 miles an hour. And previously, it was like 65 or 70 degrees. So that's why I knew that I had to be in the woods that day because, you know, I personally had never witnessed it before where, you know, I made the decision to go in right on the front hit and saw all this deer activity. But you, you listen to, like, your podcast, Wired Hunt podcast, or, like, all these other people's experiences, and they say that, this like cold weather triggered deer movement. And like, I'm a firm believer in that now after, after this hunt for sure. But yeah, I definitely was keeping my eye on the weather like leading up to that day. And when it dropped, I, I made the decision pulled the trigger and, and got out in the woods. Gotcha. Now you, you had your trail, you had your trail camera right in the middle of this block of timber. Yep. What made you decide to, set your stand up where you had it set up. It looks like, was it on a field edge? Yeah, it was on, it was on a field edge. So there was standing corn in between, like basically surrounding the three sides of that woods. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I just, I figured that where they were bedding in that woods and the access route that I had, there's probably better places that I could place my stand, but I figured that was the least, uh, like not, it was it wasn't the most intrusive place that I could go. Gotcha. So I still had some room for error, and that access route or that trail that goes into the middle of the timber, there was like a couple of of smaller scrapes that were on that trail leading into that that bigger clearing that's in the center of the woods where there was a lot more scrapes. So I figured there there had to be some traffic that was funneling through past my stand where it was where I had placed it. So gotcha, gotcha, which. And it, 
you know, it was a north, was it a northwest wind that night, north wind? Yeah. Okay. Which is strange because the deer it got out of his bed and he walked with the wind. Yeah, that was a so my the, like the first thing that my dad taught me when I started hunting was that like deer, you know, they're going to use the wind to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So you know, you always have that thought in the back of your mind, and this was something that was like you know it didn't go with the the norm. You know, the, the buck that I shot, he walked with the wind rather than into it or quartering into it, or you know, it really wasn't in his advantage at all. So I, you know. Maybe he had there were maybe one of the does that were in the area were in in Astros already, and he, he had his nose to the grindstone like trailing her, or you know it he you know, I guess we'll never know, but yeah. that was just something that kind of went against the norm that I noticed all right, so you're you you're walking into the stand, you climb up, you get settled, what time is it, and then I'm just gonna let you take it from here. Yeah, so I'm walking in. You know, I left work about three o'clock. I was, I get done, get changed, and you know, I have a routine that I go through when I when I get there. So I, I change, spray down, um, get all my stuff together, and like this tonight, this particular night, I didn't have a stand that was preset in that area. So I, I was basically doing a run and gun setup. Run and gun. So run and gun, baby. Run and yeah. gun. So I got all that stuff ready. I'm walking in. You know, I find a tree that I think is going to work out, and you know, get all my stuff laid out and start putting everything together. And I realized that. So I have a lone wolf wolf stand and like the climbing sticks. Then I forgot the stick straps that go on the tree stand that hold it onto the tree. So I, all I have is the tree stand and then my sticks um, to go along with it. So immediately I'm thinking like, crap, like this punch is just wasted. So like. On the lone wolf stands, the, the straps that are used for the sticks are the same straps that are used on the stand. So basically what I did is I just, I used, I have four climbing sticks. I used one of the straps from the climbing stick on the stand, and then I only had three climbing sticks. So, I mean, whatever, I had to improvise. It was better, better than going back to the truck and just sitting there. Yep. And um, so I, it took me a little bit longer to get settled in the tree. So I, I was settled in the tree between my 430 and 445-ish. And, you know, I immediately am thinking, like, wow, I made too much noise. This is too long. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, all the stuff that I think is just going wrong in my head. So at roughly 545, that's when deer started getting up. And, you know, I heard this crunching and rustling that was coming from behind me in the woods. And you, when you're out there in the woods, you, you immediately write every noise off as being like a squirrel or a chipmunk. Or you immediately think that's what it's going to be because... Like when they're in the woods, they sound like they're huge, or it's like like some big robot walking through the woods towards you, but it's not. So, um, you know, I turned around and I saw a couple of doe that were walking from that bedding area to the east, about 40 or 50 yards behind my stand. And you know, I, I had already thought to myself, if I see a doe that comes in the range, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shot at her because it seemed like a good time prior to like when the rut would be ramping up to take a doe and not be like extremely invasive to any bucks that are on the property. So um, a couple minutes later, uh, it's probably, it's approaching six o'clock now. It's, it's getting down there with, with shooting time. Um, I hear another deer get up from that same area that the doe got up. And this time he starts walking towards the south. 
So the wind is out of the north. I'm on that south edge of the of the timber, and deer starts walking towards the south. And he he gets to the edge of the um, cornfield where the corn meets the timber, and starts walking towards my stand. And I immediately see that it's a little four corner, a four corn. And I think to myself, like immediately start shaking. You know, this is this is the first buck that I've had in my like, shooting range um, in the last two seasons, basically. And you know, I make my mind up that I'm gonna I'm gonna draw back and take a shot at this deer then. Um, and, and like in hindsight, I should have I should have taken my time more in this situation. Um, but it's hard when you get in get in the moment to really slow down and start thinking about it. Yep. Um, so I I was drawing back. Deer gets into the shooting lane. And I, I grunt to get him stops, and you know, he looks up at me. Immediately when he stops walking, I let the arrow fly, and he does the you know the, whatever the big dip and the jump, and then takes off um, about 30 yards away, and then stops to a slow walk. And this is like right at last light um, for shooting time. And you know I start I get my binoculars up and start watching watching him to see like how's he reacting post shot, what's he doing. Um, did I even hit him? Did I miss him? What did I do? Just trying to get as much detail or data as I can on, on what the shot, what happened with the shot. And um, initially, I thought that I'd hit him too far back and too low, which you know I, I thought I hit him in the guts, which wouldn't be a place that you want to shoot him. So I waited a long time. It felt like forever. So probably a good hour before I got down. And at this point, it's like 7:15. Um, pitch black outside, so I, I get down, see the the arrow where I shot him, and I'm like yes, so I, I either missed him or I had a pass through. And immediately when I start examining the arrow, there's like some digestive tissue and some like uh, like dark whatever matter you want to call it, but there's some blood on it too, like some some dark red blood. And immediately I think like I must have shot him in the guts or somewhere in that area. And I start freaking out, like, uh, what if I bump him off his property? Or what if he just runs forever? What if he doesn't die at all? Like, all this stuff just starts popping into your head. And um, so I start trailing him for a little while. And, like, 25 or 30 yards into the blood trail, the blood starts picking up. It's like a, a deep, dark red blood. And all of a sudden, I hear a deer get up in front of me. And I, I think to myself, that's probably him. So this is probably, like, 7.30, 8 o'clock when I'm at this point, and I just decided to back out completely. Um, so I, I actually had my GoPro on my bowl, so when I got out of the woods, right when I got back to my truck, threw the card in the laptop, watched the shot, and I, you know, I couldn't tell where I hit him, but it seemed like it was still a little bit farther back than where I was aiming. Um, but yeah, we just basically decided to leave him. I decided to leave him until the morning, because I didn't want to go chasing him around in pitch black. I figured he'd bed down and stiffen up and then finally expire at some point. So, so what were you thinking? What was your, what was your, what was your emotions like knowing that first off that you had, you had just let an arrow go on your very first archery buck ever. And second, what, what were you feeling like when you got down and you had to make that tough decision to back out? It's crazy, man. It's a good thing that I had the harness on for my tree stand because I was shaking like a leaf. It was, <laughs> it was, it was probably top three most exhilarating experiences of my life and most fulfilling also um, to have something come like to fruition that you put all that time and effort into. And 
like as nervous as you are, like leading up to the shot and like as shaky as you, and excited you are after the shot gets done or after you take the shot. I think that like the more practicing stuff that you do when you put in, uh, like just shooting at the block or the, the whatever the decoy um, out in the backyard, like during the summer, that moment, like when you're at full draw and settled in to finally let the arrow go, you're not shaking at all. Like that is just like total muscle memory and you're just, you're ready to go and, and that's Auto something pilot. that you've done before. Yeah. So I, when I, when I got down and finally started trailing them, you know, I, I knew that I was probably gonna have to make that decision on whether or not do I want to go after him now or do I want to leave him until the morning and just wrapping my head around that, like, Hey, this might not end up the way that you wanted to, or you might not find the deer. It's just like total like deflation a little bit, but still very excited to be in that situation because you put so much time and effort into getting there. Yeah. So awesome. Awesome. So you went home and you waited. Yeah. Waited. Didn't sleep a wink that night. Um, probably watched the video 50 times that <laughs> night, replayed it in my mind even more than that. And like woke up way too early, like way earlier than I needed to. And was out there at first light with my soon to be brother-in-law, Chris. And, um, he, him and I, like we picked up a blood trail right where I had left it. So I, I had made sure it was, it was easy to see it. Um, it was a fair amount of blood because when I shot him, he ran for like 30 yards and then started walking. When he started walking, um, that's when the blood kind of like started to pool and pick up a little bit. But I had marked where it was, and basically that was our starting point for trailing him uh, through the woods. And um, from that point on, the blood just was like it was very tough to trail him. Like at a few points, like we're talking like pinpricks of blood in uh, a woods in Wisconsin in like the height of fall, where all of these leaves are on the ground that are all these different vibrant colors and just trying to make sure that you don't lose the deer or the blood trail or disturb it in a way where you're not going to be able to go back to it to start over if you have to. Um, so just trying to take as much precaution as we had, as we could. And I had, I had trailed a, a few deer um, with my dad, like through like gun season when I was younger and stuff like that. So I knew like the basics of doing it, but I'd never done anything with, with a bull, um, with, with wounding a deer with a bull before. So we basically just, you know, you find the spot of blood and then work your way in like a small circle to try and find the next spot of blood. We probably did that for like three hours where he kind of looped back and forth within the woods. And finally we found him on the trail then, um, which was like the most like glorified feeling I think I've ever felt <laughs> aside from when he walked in front of my stand. So yeah, it was. It was great. So you found him. You, you had this glorious, this glorious uh, uh, moment, right? You. Yeah. What, what was going through your head when you laid hands on him for the very first time? Just like incredibly thankful, you know, like tr like thankful and like trusting, I guess, to like trust that, like you put all this effort and work in to make this happen. That it's just like the validation that the stuff that you're doing. Um, in relation to like bull hunting or like being outdoors or like, like you do all of these actions with hope that there's going to be like a result that you can arrive at. And then yeah. just finally seeing like all of the effort validated by a result. It's just a great feeling. It's just a great feeling. All right. So 
you got him. You got him butchered. He's he's in your freezer. And now, I guess explain. I, I know you did earlier, but explain in as much detail as possible what the, what his rack looks like. His rack, it's he's a, he's not big. He, you know, there are definitely bigger deer out in the woods, but he's he's probably a yearling, uh, yearling um, four pointer. So just like the two main beans split come up and then it splits into um, a little 2.4 on each side. Right. So but, it holds an arrow perfectly. So I'm, I'm going to do a, a mount before him and I'm going to just let that arrow sit right on top of his two forks, you know, and hopefully there's some bigger ones to come after him. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, for me, I can remember almost every detail of the very first buck I ever shot with a bow. And it was in, 2000 and it was either in 2006 or 2007 i i i can't remember the year but i can tell you exactly and that story right there is that 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 really didn't keep me going out for bow hunting but it was it was one of the greatest moments in my life harvesting a mature you know well my my first buck was mature but but it it was a first buck. I mean, I can even tell you the story of my very first doe I ever harvested. And that I just, I was shaking so bad when I shot that doe. So you have absolutely, you should be absolutely proud to have shot, taken this buck with a bow. You know, there's a lot of people out there who, who can't do what you did and all that hard work paid off. And if I had to guess, you're already planning for this next season. Oh, you damn straight. Yeah, I can't. Wait. I can't wait until. I can't wait until. So right now in Wisconsin, you know, it's like like 10 degrees outside and there's snow on the ground. Um, yeah, I can't wait until February rolls around. I've already got weekends circled on the calendar that I'm going to try and go out to the woods to see if there's any other information I can gather. Do a little what, what happened this past season, and then start hunting for some sheds. That's the other thing that nice. I'm kind of super excited about. But. Yeah, it was definitely another big learning experience this season, but I think that only positive stuff is going to come from it in the well, future. You know, and I say, I'm going to say this, welcome to the club. And when I say the club, I mean the whitetail bow hunting fanatic club. Yeah. And it just, I, it just gets worse, and your fiancé is going to get pissed at you <laughs> in the future, yeah. but – there's nothing you can do about it. You got the fever. He doesn't understand. Like, like when I, you guys have made comments in the past, like you get done it or like pulling like a trail camera card or something like that. And you're just like inches away from your computer screen, like just hitting like the right or left arrow and just <laughs> clicking through the, clicking through the pictures. Like I, I totally relate to the excitement behind that. And she's always like, she's a trooper. She, she comes with me sometimes to, to pull cards and look at stuff like that, but to her, I, I think they're just deer. Yeah. Um, she under she understands that it's something that I really enjoy, so I'm I'm thankful for that. Well, let me say, Justin, congratulations uh, for you know for this deer that you that you had, um, and thank you very much for sharing it on on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. You know, I I appreciate the stuff that you guys do. You, you, I mean, I, I don't think it would have happened. I don't think I would have gotten my deer if it wasn't for the stuff that I've learned from you and Mark and other people that are out there that just take the time to put out stuff.
stuff that they're passionate about or, you know, quality content. And um, I'm extremely thankful to have that as a reference. So it wouldn't happen without you. <laughs> well, I, I can't take any credit. You're the one who drew back and you did all the hard work. So again, congratulations and uh, good luck this upcoming year. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Good luck to you as well. I absolutely love hearing stories like that. Uh, congratulations to Justin. I know him along with me and all of you guys are already jacked for the uh, 2016 season. Uh, we're going to be out there knocking on doors. We're going to be out there on Google Maps or wh- whatever mapping uh you know, system you use, looking at ground, finding access points, you know, pinch points, all that stuff. We're going to be shed hunting. And then in the summertime, it's trail cameras and mineral stations. And then the season's here before you know it. So uh, good luck to everybody in 2016. Now, if you haven't already, go to my Facebook page, the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. Give us a like, give us a share. Go to Twitter, give us a follow, go to Instagram, follow me there. Um, and then spread the word. If, if, if you like this podcast, spread the word, let everybody know it's a destination, uh, uh, for not only information about archery gear and equipment, but to hear stories from the average Joes like you and me. So, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I hope everybody had a great season. I know some seasons are, are over. Some seasons are winding down. There's, there may be a, a month left in, in some of the southern states, but uh, it's time to start uh, switching gears a little bit. Season's over and start focusing on uh, 2016. With that said, thank you guys very much for listening and wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>